0: Well, most of what you'll, passage of scripture, you'll see on the overhead tonight. You can, you can have your Bible open if you like. Uh, a, a like. Lot, a lot of what you'll call your attention to will be on the overhead tonight. We are continuing in our uh, study of the, the tabernacle, God's dwelling place. And uh, the first passage of scripture you're going to see is found in Exodus 25 and 8. And you remember we, we went through Exodus over the last few months. And remember God told... Moses and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Last week we talked about you know, just basically the sanctuary, and there was there was something I wanted to read and have time to read it, but I can read it tonight. God said, "I I want to dwell with you," and so the question might be, "Well, wait a minute, isn't God omnipresent anyway? It, it, you know, isn't He omnipresent?" And the answer is yes. And so why would he say that I may dwell in their midst? And so I think uh, uh, J. Daniel Hayes in his book, The Temple and the Tabernacle, which is really, really good, uh, he helps to answer this. And so I, it's, it's one long paragraph, but I think you'll find it interesting. The word omnipresent means that God is every, everywhere throughout the universe all the time. That is, he fills the entire universe. This is a basic reality of God that the Bible proclaims. Yet, when Moses, for example, encounters God in the burning bush, clearly he is engaging with a very different kind of presence of God than that of God's omnipresence throughout the world, which he encountered every day. How are we to understand that difference? Light provides us with a helpful analogy. If the blinds in your house are open in the daytime, allowing the sunshine to come in, then light completely fills the room. This is like the omnipresence of God. But suppose we then turn on a laser beam in the room, especially a powerful and dangerous laser beam that can cut right through steel. We are still encountering light, but it's a very different kind of light now. Much more intense and focused. This is like the direct presence of God that Moses encounters in the burning bush. Thus it is helpful, conceptually, to place the presence of God on a spectrum of intensification. On the left side of the spectrum, God is God's omnipresence throughout the world. On the right side are the direct face-to-face encounters with God. For example... Moses at the burning bush and the call of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. A much more greater intensification of God's presence. Slightly to the left of the face-to-face encounters is God's tabernacling presence that moves with Israel through the wilderness. The presence of God that dwells in the temple and the tabernacle is analogous to the right end of the spectrum, a very intense and focused reality like the laser beam of light, okay? so hopefully that helps you know another way of saying it in, in a shorter way, you might be you say you know it' it here in exodus twenty five and eight god's dwelling in the midst god's dwelling here is is a is a, is a more special intense uh presence as opposed to the general omnipresence of God now next you're going to see a picture of the tabernacle again and uh it just it's just a reminder you know uh, uh, which which we'll which we'll look at here closely in just a moment, but uh, uh, rectangle uh, uh, and and you, know, you, you enter here and uh, this is a model by the way, of course, and uh, you enter here and then you begin to encounter the the furnishings. Uh, the next picture you'll see uh, layout of uh, you know the flow of worship, the layout you know, entering here. You know, sacrifice and confess sins here, the altar, which we'll look at tonight, and then the cleansing and forgiveness, of the bronze laver. Now, we're going to look at those two things tonight. We'll get to the others as we uh, carry on in the uh, weeks ahead. But the tabernacle and its furnishings, just remember, we mentioned this last week, would teach the Israelites about God and his redemptive purposes. So this evening... We're going to explore the furnishings of the temple. We're going to only be able to look at two tonight. That's all we'll have time for. As we enter the courtyard, we're going to pass through. Uh, yeah, there you go, right here. Thank you, Susan. You, you, as we enter, you're going to pass through these curtains, okay? And so, but but we also have these hangings here, okay? These uh, linen hangings around. So let me let me talk about those for a minute. Those hangings are... Of fine twined linen curtains, connected to pillars and stabilized by ropes and pegs, they stood uh, s- seven foot five inches. Okay, uh, and the sixty wooden pillars were overlaid with bronze and stood in copper sockets. Okay, so again, we remember we talked about you know the copper and the bronze last week. You know, you'd see that in the early. Stages, but later uh, things get much finer. This this entrance here that you see is is thirty foot wide uh, and was covered with a screen made from blue and purple and scarlet dyed yarns that were woven with fine twined linen. Now, uh, you, 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 remember, all of this is designated by God. This 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 wasn't you know, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like a women's committee that went down to uh, Home Depot and and, uh, and said look uh, uh, I think this would really be pretty you know it's none of that this is all given by God it, 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 this, this is what it's to be this is how it's to look upon entrance into the courtyard so you, you've entered into to, to, to the courtyard now upon entrance into the courtyard or uh, the the outer court section. The first piece of furnishings would be the, uh, uh, I mean, it's right here. We'll see another picture of it in a second, but it's right here. You, you, you're going to walk in and you're going to see this right away. And it's the, and it's a few names. It's the. It's the, the bronze altar or the brazen altar or the altar of burnt offering. And you'll see another picture of it here. Uh, and you'll notice, okay, uh, these, these horns on the corners. We'll talk about those in just a minute. And then there's these uh, uh, poles that would be inserted. And this, is, this is for the purpose of carrying it. Remember, this, this is going to be set up. Uh, the tabernacle is going to be set up and there's going to be tore down so that the Israelites can move on their journey. And so uh, in order to carry the bronze altar, these poles would be inserted and uh, they would be able to carry it. Now, this bronze altar is made from acacia wood. Again, specific, seven foot, five inches long, or seven and a half foot long, I should say, uh, and and, and four uh, by five high. It's overlaid. So it's made of wood, but it's overlaid with bronze. And again, these four corners and the transported poles are there as well. Now, let's say you walked in. Let's just, you know. Just imagine with me. You walk in, and you 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 see this altar. Now, uh, there's a few things that we'll get to in just a minute. You know, the, the first there's a fire there. The fire goes on perpetually, okay. And um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to reckon that you're going to smell the smell of blood because there's a lot of blood that's going to be spilled, okay. So wh- what do you I mean, what do you think? I mean, just what do you think? That would teach people when they walk in. The first thing they see is this altar where sacrificing is taking place. What, what, what do you think people might think? Anybody? Okay. All right. Yep. First, first stop. First stop. You know, God. God dwells here. First stop. Sacrifice. Anything else that come to mind? Sins a fairly deadly business, right? I mean, this is this is all about. This is all about how. Again, how. Uh, God is going to set up a system for uh, uh sinful people and holy God to come together. And in order for that to happen, sin's going to have to be dealt with. And so, you know, I'm I'm just guessing. I you know, because again, all of this was to teach. All of this was to teach the people of God. And and so, you know, you might think that one thing that would begin begin to come to mind is, wow, are my my sin, my my sin must be pretty bad in order for this creature to have to die. Must be must my sin must be my sin's much worse than I thought it was. I didn't think it was all that bad, but it must be really really bad. See, many many sacrifices are going to be offered. Uh, here on this altar. The burnt, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, ordination offerings, and the fellowship offerings are going to be offered right right here. There's going to be bulls, goats, sheep, doves, pigeons, and various grain and bread offerings that are offered. Again, a lot of blood is going to be shed. I, 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 I meant to bring a copy. There's a when I first became a Christian, somebody told me said so you've got to get a hold of a book by Alfred Edersheim. He's a he's a Jewish uh, Christian, and um, obviously writes from a Jewish perspective. And I remember years ago this has been this would have been back in the uh, mid '80s uh, of of him talking about you know the just how much blood, you know just how much blood on a given day uh, would be shed, and and how that blood was. You know, was was dealt with, and how it was removed, and and, and flowed, and all of this. It was, you know, it's pretty pretty gripping. The animals will be slaughtered, and their blood will be sprinkled on the base of the altar. So again, a lot of blood. You know, this is this is not a tidy affair. You can imagine, you know, the the priests, they're going to have blood all over them. There's going to be blood sprinkled at the base. I mean, this is this is pretty gruesome. Again, it would, it would say, I think it would teach, it would declare sin is a horrible thing. Again, we may not see it this way, but the way God has set this system up, uh, bloodshed, death, the need for satisfaction, confession, and substitute are going to become very clear. And So let's kind of walk through those for just a minute. First, uh, satisfaction. Now, you may, you may. This is not, uh, this is not what the Rolling Stones were talking about when they said, "I can't get no satisfaction." Uh, it's not what, that's not the kind of satisfaction we're talking about. Uh, what is it? Well, let's look at some verses here. Leviticus chapter six, verses nine through thirteen. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth, on the altar all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean space. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. a second mention there, right? It, it shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it uh, the fat of the peace offering fire should be kept burning on the altar continually. it shall not go out three times in just those few short verses. The fire fire is burning and, 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 and that 's just to speak of the continuation, the continuation of this process. Uh, the fire was to never go out when worshippers entered the courtyard, they would, they would they would see the fire, smell the fire. I mean imagine all the senses that are that are going on, you know, sight and smell. You know, this was a picture. By the way, this fire was a picture, no doubt, of God Himself as a consuming fire. See, since all sin is an offense against a righteous God, His justice must be satisfied. That's what we mean by the word satisfied. Uh, all, all sin is sin against a holy God. It's a it's a, a sin against His His uh, assault against His justice. And so his justice must be satisfied. His wrath and justice would be satisfied temporarily by the numerous sacrifices of bulls, goats, sheep, and birds. And so what's happening at this brazen altar, this burnt altar of burnt offerings, um, is about God's justice, and wrath. Against sin, being satisfied. But then there's also confession that takes place at this altar in Leviticus chapter one, verses three through five. We see this: if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. Without blemish. Notice this: it. don't don't. It's there's no bringing. There's no bringing. It's, it. No, nobody here does this. Nobody here does this. I've never done it, of course. You, you you know you, for, for you the Boy Scouts are coming in November and, and and to pick up food from Mount Washington Community Ministries and so you go into the cupboard and you you start going I don't like that mess and I'll never eat gonna eat that mess <laughs> so you start grabbing you start grabbing all the cans the stuff that you're not gonna eat now nobody does that here I know that and I don't I don't ever do that <laughs> in other words we're, we're we're grabbing the blemished cans, see. Uh and so, in God's system, no. You know, you don't walk out through the herd and go, "Sorry, broken leg, Charlie. You're you're going." You know, <laughs> you know none of that stuff. It's 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 without blemish. You see, he shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Again, we looked at this last Sunday. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall. Uh, I missed something there the offer the bull before the Lord and, and Aaron's sons, the priests shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting and again, just just picture this gruesome of blood being thrown and splattered here and there um, and, and again the the um, the worshiper you know we talked about this Sunday, the worshiper is identifying. With the sacrifice, uh, by laying, you know, again, laying his hand, pressing his hand, or like we talked about Sunday, like it's like a like leaning on a cane. Uh, this worshiper is leaning on and identifying with the animal, and uh, it, it, it's the worshiper acknowledging and confessing, agreeing with God that that you know, I'm the sinner, I'm the sinner, and and and, I, and this this. Animal is going to be, as we'll see in a moment, a substitute. He's taken my place for my sin, and it might sound something like this. Again, I, the imperfect one, a sinner, approach God, leaning on this blameless sacrifice. So, is there this confession going on, agreeing with God? I am a sinner. I have, I have, I have sinned against your justice. I've sinned against your holiness. I, you know, I, 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 des- I deserve your wrath. I deserve. I deserve to be on that altar. I deserve it. But this. This sheep, this goat going to take my place. So it was, a, it was a prayer of confession from the worship consistent with uh, Le, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21. Let's see that verse. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. See, this was on the day of atonement. Uh, now, th- this this is not just one person's. This is this is talking about the sins of the community, the sins of the entire community, and uh, this scapegoat. You know, the scapegoat. The, the priest is going to again laying hands on. You see that that transfer, uh, that um, identifying with this animal. So there's there's satisfaction that takes place at the altar. There is confession that's taking place in the altar. And then there is substitution uh, that's taking place. And let's, let's, go, uh, let's go to the next picture, I think. There we go, the altar again. Uh, so, so with that picture in mind, you see those horns, right? Uh, the very next verse that we'll look at here is Psalm 118 and 27. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. And so that gives us a picture of why the, the, the horns are there. Gonna, gonna tie, you're gonna tie this bull down, you're gonna tie this goat down, it's gonna be strapped down. It, it, it you know kind of in some way you might begin to think, wow, our Lord was nailed to the cross. You know, bound to the cross. And so now we we see here that in the Old Testament system, sacrificial system, uh being the sacrifice was tied to the altar before it was burned. This provided a vivid picture of the punishment each sinner deserved. See again, the the, the visual here is not to be missed. The teaching is not to be missed. You, know, you you might say, "Boy, this is so gruesome. This is so grotesque." Again, God is teaching His people. God is teaching His people, and 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 one of the lessons here is the the, is the horror. Of sin and the the picture of the punishment each sinner deserved. Yet, God in His grace provided a means for His justice to be satisfied in these sacrifices. In other words, it, it, it's, again, God established this. It, you know, it wasn't like a you know a group of uh, you know a group of white men, old white men, you know the most you know the, the the worst people in the world, a group of old white men getting together and going, you know, let's come up with a system. And, uh, you know, it, 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 no, it wasn't that at all. This, this is, this, again, ordained of God, um, a system that is going to satisfy his His justice through the offering of these sacrifices. God God is the one ultimately who provides the substitute. Okay? The offering does not imply, or I should say, the offering does not itself, in, in other words, we should don't don't think this okay don't think okay that the offering itself satisfied god or in other words that it's propitiate but it served merely as a symbol and expression of man's desire to purify himself and become reconciled to god okay it wasn't it wasn't just somehow magically this animal uh, did it no the animal again was was again symbolic of a person's desire to be reconciled to a holy God. Uh, I want you to see, I thought this was good from Alan P. Ross. And it's a quote, we'll look at it. Forgiveness and purification were graciously bestowed by the Lord on the individual who by faith submitted to him and followed through with this ritual. And God was free to declare forgiveness because of his eternal decree that one day, He would provide the perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world once and for all. At that time, did not know how these sacrifices uh, foreshadowed the death of Messiah, the Lamb of God. They only needed to believe God's word of forgiveness and comply with his ritual to find forgiveness. And so that that first sentence, sentence, there should be, say, at that time they did not know, meaning these worshipers that we're, seeing in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, they, you know, they, they, they didn't see how this w- was a foreshadowing of Jesus. We can see that. We have the benefit of, 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 of the New Testament. But they didn't see that. All they needed to do was, be- again, believe what God had said. God set this system up. Here's what you must do. Here's what you have to do to be accepted by me. And as they believed this uh, and complied with this ritual, they would find Certain forgiveness. So the altar was an immediate and perpetual reminder that entrance into the presence of God was based upon sacrifice. Just what Jim was saying earlier. Uh, again, th- this, this talk, if you're going to have access to God, it's going to require a sacrifice. It's going to have, have the presence of God, have his nearness, have his acceptance. It was all uh, based upon Sacrifice. So, the next piece of furnishing that we come to is the bronze basin for washing. Let's see a let's see a picture of that. All right, uh, a couple of pictures here. When you when you move on, uh, when you move on past the altar, uh, there was the bronze altar. And We'll talk about that in just a second. Here is what it would what it would you know, would, you know uh, somewhat look like, and, and it's when the, the priest washing his hands there. All right, so so let's let's uh, let's talk about what this is again. Bronze basin, bronze laver. There's a number of different names for it, but uh, in Exodus chapter 30, we are given uh, we're given some information uh, about it. Okay, the Lord said to Moses, "You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar. Again." God says, here's where you place it. Put it right here. Again, teaching moment. Okay? Uh, you shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. Now, who were Aaron and his sons? They were the priests. Okay, They were of the tribe of Levi, and so they were the priests. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. Now, that'd be a good reason to wash, okay? You know, um, it's, it's it's not like you know, it's not like telling your five year old, "Now go wash for dinner, or or I'll kill you." <laughs> uh, it's not that. Um, they shall wash their hands and their feet, so they may not die. And again, repeatedly, they may not die. Pretty serious business here, okay? So you know, we we need to we need to take a look at this. Um, the basin was made from, anybody know what the basin was made from? Mirrors, yes. Made from mirrors. It was made from mirrors that were finely polished pieces of bronze. And not like mirrors today, by the way. Okay, Back in that time, these were finely polished pieces of brass. In Exodus 38 and 8, here's what we read. He made the basin of bronze and its, and its stand of bronze from the mirror's of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting, okay? so again, not like the mirrors that we see today, but nevertheless, still, you know, uh, a, a reflection uh, element there. Before any sacrifice is offered on the altar, or before they enter the holy place, the priests must wash. And so, let me ask you this: what, what do you what do you think? What do you think that? What do you think? Worshippers would learn from this, just observing, you know, the priests washing their hands, deliberately, you know, continually washing their hands. What do, what do you think they would learn from that? Anything come to mind for you? Okay. It, yes. there's Obviously, again, tremendous amount of blood going on here. You know, I mean, you know, we obviously. You know, let's say we go to a restaurant. We're, we're pretty concerned about you know we would like to see the workers washing their hands, right? You know, keeping up on on cleanliness. So here here you've got this you know, shedding of blood, this gruesome, nasty scene, but there's this washing of hands. You see. So see, communicate communicate this this need for 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 not only cleanliness, as we'll talk about in just a moment, but it reminds me of uh, uh, years ago, before you know. I think probably Sherry would be more attuned to this, and, and BJ certainly. Um, years ago, back you know, trying to figure out how bacteria was spread, and you know, and uh, back before we know what we know now. I guess uh, there was a doctor. I think his name, his last name was Simon Weiss I think is the way you pronounce it. And Anyway, he, he, he was, began to do studies, and, and, and he, was, he was convinced that, you know, there were, there were babies dying, you know, people continuing to get sick and, and, and babies dying and this sort of thing, and trying to figure out, you know, what's going on here, you know? And he became convinced that, he was persuaded that by washing hands, by, by doctors washing their hands, by those ministering to the sick, wash your hands. And if you read about this, this is it's amazing. They laughed him out of you know they laughed him out of town they they absolutely said that's the craziest thing we've ever heard you know that's ridiculous that's that doesn't make any difference well, it turned out it did <laughs> but, but it 's interesting to read about you know there was this, there was this incredible you know danger and, and you know they again they just just ignored it even though even though the evidence was right there but anyway, this labor rather than you know so much uh, rather than so much cleanliness. It had to do mainly with symbolizing a spiritual cleansing, okay? A spiritual cleansing through the washing of water. And this, one of the things I think this would teach, again, is the holiness of God. Just, it's just, it's again, just stressing the holiness of God. God said, who said this? You know, God, God said, uh, wash, cleanse yourself or you'll die. Or you'll die. Now, this is this is obviously here not a once and for all washing, was it? Because uh, if you back up to the previous verse, just from I'm sorry, Susan. Susan's up there and she's 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 running this night. She's probably going to shoot me. But uh, I, yeah, let's see here. And, and uh, they they shall wash with water, so that they let's go to the next one. Yeah, so that they will not die way. Yeah, but what, my point is this. They had to do this continually, okay, continually. It was, wasn't a once and for all washing. As many times as they entered the tent and they offered a sacrifice, they had to wash every time with no exceptions, okay? So this meticulous, again and again, imagine worshipers standing by and just watching this routine go on. Again, this after. After a while, it begins to the, the message begins to get through, hopefully. So let's consider let's consider what these things mean for us today. We've got 10 minutes and hope to pull this together because we've looked at two pieces of furniture and uh, you know I don't, I don't want to get too uh, you know I don't want to get too comparative and say, well this means this and this means this. That's one of the things I appreciated about. This particular book here, the Temple and the Tabernacle, it's probably one of the better books that I've run across on on this uh, subject, uh, because it's it you can kind of get some some do get carried away with going. Uh, well, this means this, this means this. you know. Some have said, well, the sockets, you know, those those poles going, those bronze sockets, and that means, <laughs> and then these these posts mean this. Words, they're always in other words, everything's over spiritualized. Everything, you see. Uh, That doesn't mean that there's some clear connections, as we'll see here in a moment. But but again, we just want to be careful how we go about that. Uh, so, So what does this mean for today? The sacrifice of Christ provides perfect, continued cleansing for his people. Declaring them to be completely holy before God. Uh, for example, First John chapter one verse seven. Isn't it interesting? It says this. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And by the way, the word cleanse there is a continual cleansing. the The language there points out that this is again not not a you know not a not a, a, a only only for this time is a, a continual. Cleansing. As we confess before God, as we're sincere before God, humble before God, uh, the, Christ, Christ's shedding of his blood, giving of his life, uh, provides for us a, a continual cleansing. Okay? Un, you know, we're told that um, we are to remain unspotted. Uh, from the frequent defilements of the world. In James 1 and 27, you notice this. Remember, religion that is pure, undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and the widows and their afflictions, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, so this this continued need for cleansing and the confessing of our sins and the, the washing of of, of the word. You see, some think that the gospel is just something that's for unbelievers. Like, we've, we've already we've already believed it, and so we can move on, and the gospel's just for other people. But we must constantly hear the good news of the gospel and a constantly apply it to it, its cleansing to our hearts. Because we notice in Ephesians here, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So the gospel is not just for, it's not just something, well, I heard it, I've heard it already, I, I, you know, I've responded to that, and now it's on to other things. No, um, the, 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 the good news of what Christ has done for us is something we continually apply to our lives for, for continued need of cleansing. Now, just a few words now about the bronze altar, and we will we will wrap up. And it's only a few words. See, we, we we I think you you probably see this. Many of you already know this, but it is lovely to go back. You know, you walk into you know, walk into the tabernacle, and you there's all this. You know, it's all this. You know, imagine the bleeding, the bleeding of the, the lambs, their throat being cut, the blood being drained. Thrown on the side of the altar, and 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 just the you know the 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 fire and all all of this system in in the works. It's it's it's, you know again what did all this what did all this teach? Well, Christian theology, New Testament, New Covenant understands that the altar that the altar with the sacrifice prefigured prefigured the death of Jesus the Messiah who ultimately gives us access to the Father. In in this particular Old Testament system, which was temporary, uh, access was gained, the substitute of an animal, a bull, a goat, sheep. But we see that that just prefigured the once and for all, the once and for all. Uh, No need for the Catholic Mass, folks, (laughs) really. when, When you look at the Roman Catholic Mass... In principle, what that is, it is, a, um, it, is it, it is fundamentally teaching that Christ must die again, again, again. It, 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 the, the Roman Catholic Mass, it, it really, it it, 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 defies, it defies the once and for all, the once and for allness of Christ. And so, again, in this tabernacle, this over and over again, over and over again, over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. And, 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 and then on the Day of Atonement once a year, and then this just goes on and on. And then we read in the, you know, in the New Testament, we see that, that Christ becomes the once and for all sacrifice.